You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, church, good morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in page 952 if you're using one of our, one of our pew Bibles there. We just encourage you again to open up God's Word. We'll be able to walk it through it together uh, this morning. 952. So last week, we kicked off our brand new series, uh, working through the book of 1 Corinthians called Messy, Beautiful Church. Friends, 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a group of Christians who do not have it all together. And last week, I mean, last week we just dealt with the introduction, but man, we are going to deal with some tough stuff. Divisions all over the place, fighting all over the place, um, different ideas on how to address sin, different ideas on how to address outsiders who have come into the church. Um, they're just, Paul is just hitting, is going to hit them issue after issue after issue. But the good news and the great hope that we find in letters like this one isn't about all the drama. This isn't like a biblical soap opera where we can just look at, man, I can't wait to talk about this or talk about that. The hope of this letter is the fact that when we submit ourselves to God's wisdom, something beautiful happens. God shows up. And the church, the gathered group of believers, what we have here today, shows off the beauty that God always intended it to have. So last week, we talked about the foundational truth that the church doesn't belong to us. It's God's. Church isn't meant to be about you and I. It's meant to be about God and honoring him and glorifying him. So this week, we're going to deal with the first issue that comes up within the book. Um, The issues of uh, the church being divided. Division within the church. Now listen, division is something that we are all too, that we know all too well. We Americans love to fight, don't we? We do. We fight about politics, about sports teams, about health care, about organic versus non-organic foods. Lines have been drawn over essential oils, Harry Potter, and whether or not public, private, or homeschool is the best way to go. We just love doing it. It's something ingrained into our culture. But these disagreements often lead to division, where we just think, hey, if you're not with me, you are against me. And lines are drawn, and gone are the days where we can have differing opinions on certain things and still have a cordial conversation. We're just at the point now within our society where if you're not, if you don't agree with me and my thought process and my values and my worldview, we can't be friends. And church, this same issue isn't just something that goes on in our world. It's something that goes on within the church. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, addresses this very issue. And today we're going to see the cause of their division, what was going on within their church, why they were fighting. But then Paul's also going to give us the cure. How do we stand in unity with each other? What can we do to protect our church 
um, from being so divided against each other. So we're just going to stop and pray one more time. Then we're going to dig into our text today. So would you please join me in prayer? So Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. God, for the reminder this morning. God, that you are faithful and good. And you won't abandon your church. You haven't abandoned this church. God, you're here, and you want to work, and you want to be present. But so often we as believers hinder that presence, hinder that work through the divisions that we find within our, within our own families, within our own bodies, Lord. So today, God, I pray, Lord, that we would see the hope of the gospel. God, the hope that Jesus is at the center of everything. And the God, that your spirit can bring unity and restore, God, where things have been broken. Thank you, God, for this letter, and for these verses that we're, that we're about to dig into today. You are good and gracious, Father. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So, church, the first thing that Paul addresses here in the first three verses is the cause of their division. Um, sometimes we need that. Um, when you parent kids, sometimes you got to name what's going on first and, and explain to them and try to draw them out what's, what actually is happening. And it works really well with even adults, too. I always tell people, like, listen, name, name your emotion. Name, name, name what's going on inside of your heart. And what these verses do, it gives us the opportunity to see what was going on within that church. This, this happened almost 2,000 years ago. But these first three verses give us a, really an insight into what was going on within this body of believers. But before Paul gets into the drama and the bickering and the fighting, Paul calls them to be unified. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you would agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Church, I, I love this, that before Paul gets into calling people out and saying what's going on, he gives them a destination to, to, to travel to, a goal to reach. He says, this is, this is my prayer for your church, that you would be united together, that you would be in agreement with each other. And you see Paul's heart. This is the end to which he is going to be writing these next six or seven verses to. That, man, I wish you guys would be able to stand united together. See, the, the word united, it's almost, it's a picture of a, of a fisherman mending broken nets. Nets that are, have been unusable because of the damage that has been done. It's fishermen putting them back together. Or a surgeon setting a fractured bone. I went through a, a season of my life probably, man, I was probably 10, between 10 to 12, I literally was in the ER all the time. If, if I didn't get hurt on a soccer field or the playground, like CYS would have been at my house because I was just getting, I broke so many bones, broke my leg, broke my arm three times, broke my wrist, broke my ankle. And, and, and there, there was one time it was broken bad enough where they had to put me under and the surgeon had to, had to, had to reset my bone here. This is the kind of picture 
that Paul is getting at. That I, I pray that God would work and restore those things that have been broken and bring them back together so that you may live in harmony. He prays that they would hold to the same values, the same mind, and have the same judgment, that they would want the same things, and that they would be working toward the same goal. And Paul's going to get into that a little bit more in verses 13 through 17, but first he wants to deal with the actual problem. For you guys who love drama, here it comes. Verses 11 and 12. It says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow, or I follow Christ. And so Paul gets into, this really is what's going on. And we don't know much about this lady, Chloe, besides this mention here. Paul is not in Corinth at the time. He's in Ephesus. But Chloe, the, the, this woman, has some ties to the Corinthian church. And she had the boldness to speak up to let Paul know what was going on there. We know nothing else about her. She could have been put into witness protection, let alone from, from what Corinth, the, 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 the fighting and the division that was there. We have no idea. But we know that Chloe had the courage to stand up and say something. And so Paul found out what was going on there. And they were, that they were fighting and being divided over and creating these different cliques over different Christian leaders. Now I need to point out something very, very important here. This wasn't about theology. This wasn't about doctrine. This wasn't about teaching. If that was the case, Paul would have corrected that as we, as we see him do so often in his letters. This was about preference and style and people that they wanted to lead them, and the different preferences and likes and dislikes that people had. These were all solid Bible teachers. They, most of them had a solid ministry within that church. This wasn't about false teaching. This was about whether or not I liked the person standing behind the pulpit that day or not. So let's, let's just kind of break, break this down a little bit. I want, I want you to see each group here. So the first group says that I follow Paul. See, Paul had actually planted the church there in Corinth, Acts chapter 18. We're not going to walk through it, but if you want to walk through it at, at your own leisure, you can see that Paul traveled to the city of Corinth, started spreading the gospel, and people started getting saved. And so there were people within the church saying, like, I follow Paul. He is my guy. Um, these are probably the people that were at the church from the very beginning. He said, I've been here from the founding. Paul is the one that I give my allegiance to. See, the, and the, the good thing about Paul is that, not the good thing, but it's just the reality of who he was. Paul writes amazing letters. Most of the New Testaments, the epistles, were written by the Apostle Paul. Paul had a, a skill in writing letters that were tight in argument and that they were, they were powerful in, in, in language. But you know something about Paul? In person, he wasn't that impressive. We see later on in Paul's second letter to, to this church that the, that the people there actually complained that while Paul's letters were like really weighty and powerful, 
when Paul showed up, he was like, wait, this is the guy that wrote this? This is him? It said that Paul wasn't a great speaker. He didn't have a great presence, but he could write. The second thing you should know about Paul, Paul was long-winded. Book of Acts says a guy named Eutychus, during one of his sermons, you, you know this story. This is why we don't have windows here when I preach. <laughs> but Eutychus, Paul preached so long into the night that this young man fell asleep, leaning on a window. He fell out the window and died. Uh, thankfully, Paul was there and was able to raise him from the dead. But dude, lay in the plane. Come on. So some people are like, I follow Paul. Yes, he's long-winded, but that's my guy. Other people said, I follow Apollos. See, Apollos came to the church after Paul left. And what we know about Apollos is that he was, elo he was an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well. He was probably the anti-Paul in this instance. He was powerful. He was articulate. He was easy to listen to. Um, he was a great debater. It says that he would go into synagogues and debate that Jesus Christ is Lord um, to, to the, the Jewish leaders there. Apollos was probably everything Paul wasn't in the, in the sense of personal style and leadership. Apollos was a guy that could own a room. Apollos was a guy that would, that would attract um, the highly educated and attract people that were distinguished within the community who put a lot of onus on degrees and, and, um, and speech theory and being able to create arguments on the fly. Apollos was their guy. People loved the fact that he could keep their attention and teach them something new. But then there, there were other people there who said, I follow Cephas. You may not know that name. Cephas is just another name for Peter. And so a lot of people thought that this would, this would have been the, the Jewish crowd there within Corinth, who many of them lamented the fact that a lot of their Jewish heritage wasn't represented well within the church. He says, hey, I grew up worshiping God this way. And now the church isn't doing it anymore. And that can be extrapolated out into so many different areas of church life. But he said, man, if we just had Peter back, if Peter could just come and show these lousy Gentiles how to actually worship God, everything would be okay. Everything would be fine. And other people were sick of all of it and said, I follow Jesus. So they're either super spiritual, it says, I'm not following, I don't follow any leader. I just follow Jesus. That's all I need. And it sounds really good. If you read, be like, oh, these, are, these people get it. They're following after Jesus. But they were causing as much division as guys who followed Paul and Peter and Apollos as well. So while it sounds really good, this is it. We just got to follow after Jesus. They were still being divided as a church. And so this is, this is the reality within Corinth. We joked as a, as a small group. We have a, a couple in our church that makes T-shirts. And we were joking, like, man, we should have, like, we should create T-shirts for, like, our favorite pastors. We'll sell them out front. Or our pins, like, I'm for Dan, or I'm for Mike, or I'm for Dave, whatever it may be. But that's what's going on within the church. I'm not going to have you raise a show of hands on who's your favorite pastor. We're not going to do that this morning. But that what was going on within the church. Backbiting and gossip and, 
and people just waiting for a leader to mess up. So like, I told you so. If you guys would have just stopped following him a long time ago, our church would have been in a lot better place. But in all of that, there is one point I want us to consider today. That point is this, is that what we like shouldn't influence how we love. What we like, our preferences, shouldn't influence how we act toward each other. And how church life is really dictated moving forward. See, remember, this was personal preferences. It wasn't doctrine. It was preaching and leadership styles. And just the uniqueness of what, how, what God has orchestrated here, um, I would be remiss to think that, listen, there are different pastors here at Grace that you prefer. Let's put it out there. That's some real talk today. Some of you here prefer Pastor Mike. He's got jokes that I've tried to do, and I can't. They're not funny. I remember my, my first ever um, preaching class, uh, and I, would, I, I, I attempted humor a lot. Um, every, when they would grade my sermon, I remember the first two, big red letters, failed humor attempt. I should have known. I should have known way back then. I tried once in a while. It doesn't really work. But Mike makes jokes, and he's funny, and he's a dynamic speaker. And Mike can own a room. And Mike has faithfully served our church. So, so some of you here, that, that's what you prefer. That's what you connect with, and that's okay. Some of you here love Pastor Dan. Um, Dan, uh, man, especially you guys with, with parents, with teens, Dan pours into your kids on a weekly basis. And, and he does a great job at it. Um, Dan, I feel like Dan can clearly communicate God's word really, really well. And the man can fix anything. Anything. He's a great guy to have around. A great guy. Actually, after this, Dan's going to check out some plumbing issue that we're having at, at our house right now. And some of you would prefer my preaching. Those of you that are connected with your emotions and like to cry a bit, I'm your guy. <laughs> and those of you who lunch is not the most important meal because you never know when you're going to get out of here. I get it. I get it. You know if, if Dave's preaching, i got to pack up on breakfast because this may be my last meal for a long time. I get it. I get it. We all have personal preferences. But we can't let that get in the way of how we connect as a church and how we live as a church. And Paul brings out two things in verses 13 through 17. Two values that we as a church family need to be reminded of to protect the unity here, here within, our, within our church family. The values are this. So Paul, does, Paul says, this is the cure. This is what you need to do to keep division from happening within your church. In verse 13, Paul, Paul begins this amazing argument. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Man, I love, I just love what Paul does here. So Paul, Paul is asking them questions. He says, is Christ divided? And church, I, I want you guys to, to respond to me. Church, is, is Christ divided into all these different groups? 
No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Is that how we do it here? No. None of them. So Paul, Paul is leading them with every question. Paul is leading them to the same thought process. That it's all about Jesus. That it's not about Paul. It's not about these, these leaders. And so what Paul is calling us to do, the first value that he pushes the Corinthian church is that we must be Christ-centered. See, the answer to every question points us back to the fact that Jesus deserves our worship and our allegiance. Not any person. It says, is Jesus divided? No, he alone is Lord. Was Paul or any other leader crucified for you? No, Jesus is the one who died for your sins. Were you baptized by anyone else in the name of anyone else? No, you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, pointing back to, to the, the, the divinity of Christ. Friends, we need to, I just need to remind you of something. That no Christian leader has done or ever will do what Christ has done for you. No one. I don't care what podcast you listen to. I don't care what preacher you sat under. I don't care what pastor you served with. None of them but Jesus took your sin upon himself. No one but Jesus died and rose again. No one but Jesus saves your soul and brings you into the family of God. No one but Jesus deserves our allegiance and our worship. No one. Friends, Francis Chan is not going to visit you in the hospital. But Jesus will be there. John MacArthur, John Piper, whoever you listen to, Mark Driscoll, whoever you want to listen to, they're not going to be with your family in a time of crisis. But Jesus will be there. And it's our goal. It's our goal as a pastoral team that we never want people to come in and think, what a wonderful pastor. And I don't care who's preaching that day. Like our goal is that people would sense just the presence of God and the glory of the gospel and instead, instead of leaving here saying, what a wonderful message, what a wonderful pastor, we want people to literally walk out and say, what a wonderful Savior. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, I'm not going to read all of it. 
But beginning at verse 15. This is Paul talking about Jesus. And he says, He is the image of the invisible God. And the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He says, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, be preeminent. Church, that's our goal. That as, as a church family, that Christ would have first place, no matter who is behind the pulpit teaching or leading that day. We need to be Christ-centered. The second thing that we need to be, the second value that we need to hold is that we need to be kingdom-focused. In verses 14 through 18, Paul continues uh, this argument here. And he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you you were baptized in my name. And he says, oh yeah, wait, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. And Paul isn't just being forgetful here, but Paul, it, it shows that Paul wasn't taking names. Paul wasn't there to build a crowd. He was there to point people to Jesus. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize you, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, oftentimes, especially in that day, baptism happened, happened pretty close to when someone believed the gospel and and was converted into Christianity. Throughout the book of Acts, you see they were saved and they were baptized. We don't see this long, prolonged um, period in between that. And so oftentimes, the people that came to faith under someone, under someone's ministry, they identified themselves as, I was baptized under Paul's ministry. I was baptized under Apollos' ministry, or whoever it may be. But Paul's reminding them that, listen, as a leader, he was saying, I'm not here to gain a crowd. I'm not here. He said, I wasn't called to baptize people. Now, was baptism bad? Of course not. We're we're commanded to be baptized in obedience to the scriptures as a public testimony that I'm a follower of Jesus. But Paul says, my job, my calling isn't isn't to bring more people in. My calling is to preach the cross. So Paul says, I am committed to preaching the gospel. I, Paul was kingdom-focused, not, not crowd-focused. And church, it is so easy to think, to make divisions among leaders, because who can bring more people in? Man, I've seen people that, that can draw a crowd, that can bring people in, but over time they've proven themselves unworthy be a shepherd of the church of God because it went to their head and they they chose to live by their own wisdom instead of the wisdom of God. 
we got to understand that God has placed some unimpressive people throughout the history of the church. Their abilities were not that great. But when they stood as as men and women used by God, that changed. That's all that matters. So Paul says, I'm going to be kingdom focused. It's not about me. It's not about me gaining a crowd. It's not about me selling books. It's not about me building a brand. It's not about the people that can say, I was, I was saved under this person's ministry. Paul says, my only focus is to continue to do what God has called me to do, to preach the good news of the gospel. So what, is, what does being kingdom focused mean for us today? So kingdom focus means that we are committed to bringing others into the kingdom of God instead of building our own kingdom here. Which is why when, when, when we are in contact with other churches that are preaching the gospel and God is blessing them, like we celebrate that. We, we don't see them as competition. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about Grace Bible Church. It's not about us three pastors. It's about the kingdom of God advancing Advancing within a valley that so desperately needs the hope of the gospel. So being kingdom focused means then that we are committed to seeing the good news of Jesus shared, even if we don't prefer the one sharing it. Even say like, you know, I don't really connect well with this guy, but you know what? There may be someone here today who does connect and who needed to hear the message of the gospel preached by a certain personality. It's not about who, who's presenting. It's about the power of the message of the cross. So we're kingdom focused when it's about the work of God's kingdom and not our own. And at the end of the day, our focus has got to be the being the fact that God gets all of the glory. Because you know what? Sooner or later, Mike, Dan, and I may not be here. We don't plan on going anywhere. But it's not about us. God uses people for a season, and he takes people away, and he brings in other people as well. And, 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 and it's our desire, whenever our, our season of leadership here is that whenever we move on or something else happens, our desire is that you're planted here and you're committed to the, to the mission of this church and what God is doing here and not because of the three of us. We've seen too many churches where a leader comes in, builds up a crowd of people, and once that leader leaves, everything falls, falls to shambles because it was all based upon the one leader instead of being based upon the person and work of Jesus. We need to be Christ-centered and kingdom-focused. So church, briefly, as, as I close, how do we protect our church from, from division? What are some tangible things that we can do right now to make sure that our church doesn't end up like Corinth? I'm going to give you three things. 
First is that we pray for every leader, not just your favorites. You pray for every pastor here. We all need it. My dad used to say this thing. He says, we all need the, you need the prayer, I, I need the prayer and you need the practice. It's probably true. I mean, it's true in both senses. We need to practice praying more and we definitely need it. But you pray for everyone, not just your favorites. And don't pray, God, would you just change them? Just change them to be more like that other, my favorite pastor? Don't pray that way. Pray, God, would you use them? with their specific skill sets and abilities and everything else, would you use them for the kingdom of God? So we pray for every leader. Secondly, don't put God in a box. I have found myself, when there is a, when there is a certain preaching style or personality that I like, one, I will go to that often. I will find a preacher that preaches that way or whatever it is. I'll listen to them often. But don't put God in a box thinking that, well, if this person isn't the one that I like and I don't prefer what they do, don't just phone it in and think, well, God's obviously not speaking to me today because this bozo's up there and I can't, I can't learn from him. Don't do that. Because no matter who's behind here, this is still God's word. No matter who's behind her, God's spirit can still work. So don't phone it in. Don't, don't close your Bibles. Don't close up your notebooks. Come ready to hear from God each time, whoever it is up here. And I think, and I, I truly believe, if you come in with that kind of attitude, God's going to honor that. And God's going to show up. And God's going to speak to your heart that day. So don't put him in a box. And lastly, fight for unity. Fight for it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Don't allow division to take a stronghold in your hearts or in the heart of others. Friends, in a world of Corinthians, be a Chloe. Be someone who is willing to stand up and say, I see what's going on. Guard your own heart from that kind of thinking. But point people back to the mission and the vision of the church. This doesn't belong to us. It's not about you. And if we are Christ-centered and kingdom-focused, that is all that matters. So as I, as I invite the the praise team up, I want to just end where we began today. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Church, if we are Christ-centered and kingdom-focused, Satan's not going to have a foothold here within our church. 
Let's stand. Let me pray over you guys. We're going to end by singing one more song. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this text. God, I thank you for the reminder. God, church is not about us. It's not our building, Lord. Church is something that you designed, Father, and that we are dependent upon you for everything. And God, I pray that you would protect the unity of this church. I pray today, Lord, that for those of us here who it's easy to build up walls against people that disagree, God, may you give wisdom. May you, may you give victory, God, over Satan in that part of their life. God, may they see, Lord, that your honor and glory is the most important thing. That your son Jesus, God, is high and lifted up. May this be a place, Father, where people leave being blown away by your goodness and grace and faithfulness to us week in and week out. God, you are our Savior. You, God, are the one that, that frees us from sin. And you are the one who promised to build your church. God, may we let you do it here at Grace Bible. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.